Turn with me, if you will, then, to our text this morning, which comes from the letter of Jude. To Jude, and we'll be looking at verses 3 and 4 this morning. Verses 3 and 4. Hear with me the reading of God's Word. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Everyone here has probably watched a a war movie or a war documentary which depicted two nations going into battle with one another. And usually, one group marches on and invades the space or domain of another with the intent of injuring or maiming, harming, killing, doing anything and everything they can to the enemy in order to take what belonged to them and to make it their own. And so, one side will say, the invading army, they come in with different tricks and different methods used to surprise the other, the other army. And then the other army will say, the, the army being invaded, they use their skill and weaponry and knowledge of the land in order to defend themselves against these foreign attackers. And these wars can rage on for short periods of time or they can rage on for long extended periods of time until either the invading army conquers the land and takes it away or they turn around and retreat and depart. And the the nation that was being invaded is then claimed the victor. Now one example of this that we could reference would be the, the Trojan War. I'm sure everyone here is familiar or at least has heard of the Trojan War especially maybe if you've seen the movie Troy before, which depicted the the Trojan War. And so this war was a a ten-year-long battle in which the Greeks attempted to invade this independent city of Troy. And so all the methods that they were trying were not working. And so they finally devised this plan, ah, we will build this giant wooden horse and we're going to put soldiers into it and then we're going to get in our ships and we're going to sail away. And they're going to think that we're defeated. And so they do this. They erect this big wooden horse, they stick their soldiers inside, and they sail away. And so the Trojans see this, and so they they pull the horse onto the land, and they drag it through their city, and in jubilation they celebrate, thinking that they have this victory. But what they didn't know is in the cover of night, when they went to sleep, the soldiers in the wooden horse hopped out of the wooden horse, The ships that had sailed away in the cover of night turned around and came back. The soldiers opened the gates to the city. Their comrades came in and before you knew it, Troy was overtaken by the Greeks and the Trojans lost the war. Now I say all this to give you an earthly depiction of what is spiritually happening today. For there is a cosmic battle which rages on, even today. And this is what Jude will be describing to the churches here in our text this morning. Now the the participants of this battle 
are those who Jude says, share in a common salvation. So on one side you have believers, you have the saints. On the other side are those who Jude says were designated for condemnation. They are the ungodly, they are unbelievers. And so these ungodly people have crept in and are perverting the grace of God, turning it into sensuality, denying Jesus Christ, and trying to deceive the saints. And so Jude is exhorting his fellow soldiers, come and to defend and contend for the faith against these foreign attackers. Yet, this cosmic battle, this war, isn't just between believers and unbelievers. Ultimately, this cosmic battle is between God and Satan. And we see this take place early in the chapters of Genesis. And so please turn with me, if you will, we'll look at a a couple brief uh, verses in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 2, where we will see this cosmic battle begin. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded man, saying, in verse 16, You shall surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And then later in chapter 3, the servant, we will see, craftily causes Eve to question the word of God. Subtle in his deception, saying in verse 1 of chapter 3, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And before you know it, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree they were commanded not to. And then in verse 13, when the the Lord approaches Eve, what is her response? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Yet what resulted? In verse 15, the Lord then says to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all, and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And thus the battle has ensued. God created Satan destroying, God building up, Satan tearing down. And so this is what we will see here in our text this morning. Now as we begin to look at verses 3 and 4, we will do so under a twofold heading. The first is the duty of Christ's army. The duty of Christ's army. The second heading is going to be the deception of Satan's army. So we have the duty of Christ's army and the deception of Satan's army. So to begin with the duty of Christ's army, again, verse 3 says, Behold, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Herein lies the purpose of Jude's letter. His intent for writing the saints, those who are beloved and dear to Him. He was to write to exhort them to contend for the faith. And we know that Jude is addressing believers because he addresses them as those who share in a common salvation. 
common not being that which is cheap or basic, but common rather refers to that which they share in together. We all share in the same salvation. It is common to all of us. Think about if you ran into someone that you haven't seen for a while at the store and you get to talking and you find out that you, that you both share a common relative. It's to say that you both have the same aunt or uncle. That's what Jude is saying here. We, that we share in a common salvation. We all belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to the same faith and the same salvation. We are on the same side of the battle. And so Jude writes, appealing to the saints, urging them on. It's as if Judas said, I've heard that people have come and crept in unnoticed in a stealth-like fashion. You saints may not even notice it, but I'm writing you, I'm appealing to you, gird yourselves up, awaken out of your slumber, and prepare to contend for the faith. He says, are there any willing to stand up on behalf of our Lord and fight? Or will you just cower and run away? And so what Jude says here is necessary and very relevant to the church today. Are there any here who are willing to stand up for Jesus Christ and to contend for the faith delivered to the saints? Or will you run and cower? Will you run and hide? It seems today in our day and age, there seems to be a lot of hiding going on. Not to point out anyone specifically, but to speak generally, We've all, I'm sure, have uh, watched on TV or perhaps watched on the internet or read a story about some minister. And so he was probably someone who's very popular and has amassed a large following. And so he's being interviewed and he's asked a question about something that the Scriptures clearly speak on, but the world disagrees with. And they ask him, the Bible seems to say this, what do you think about it? They say something like, uh, will all people make it to heaven? You know, will, will uh, those in the Muslim, Muslims, will uh, Hindus, will atheists, will all people make it to heaven? And the, the pastor, he dances around the question. And he says a lot, but really he says nothing. And you say to yourself, man, this really gets under my skin. This is his opportunity to stand up in the world and to proclaim Christ and defend the Scriptures and he completely botched it. Completely botched it. He ran from the battle. He was fearful of the enemy. Fearful of what the world's response would be if he answered that question accurately according to Scripture. Well, Christian, you and I are in this same battle and we are called to battle. And perhaps you and I will never be in front of millions of people given the opportunity to proclaim the name of Christ in the face of the world. But it doesn't mean that when we do it in our local local communities or in our local church that it matters any less. Perhaps we will only contend for the the faith in front of 30 or 40 people. But we are called to contend for the faith regardless of the scale of the impact. We are called as a church to protect, to maintain, to preserve God's Word. And so Jude is calling upon the Christian community, don't run and hide. 
There's no need, no need to be fearful in front of the enemy. You can stand boldly and proclaim Christ. I ask you, what happened to the church's zeal today? What happened to the church's zeal? We see the zeal that Paul had when he stood up and rebuked Peter to his very face. Are we willing to stand up into the face of this world and rebuke them and contend for the faith when they bring in false heresies? And this faith that we are to stand up for, this truth that we are to contend for, is not your own personal faith. It's not what you believe or how you feel. Like, I'm really passionate about this aspect of the faith, so if anyone speaks ill about this, I'm going to defend it. But these other Christian doctrines over here, I don't care so much about, so it doesn't matter if people take other stances on it. I'll just leave them be. No, that that is not what Jude is speaking here of. Jude is speaking here of the objective faith, the Christian doctrine passed down to the saints. Not your subjective faith. The objective faith is that which God spoke through His apostles and through the prophets. And we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in all righteousness. Which means that this faith, this faith delivered to the saints, all of it that was inspired by God is all important. We don't get to choose that we will defend these doctrines and let these doctrines go to the wayside. Let them die and wither away. No, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is the pillar of truth. It is the church who is to maintain Christian doctrine. That is the church's responsibility. And the church is to do so not just for ourselves, But we are to do so for our posterity. Think about if godly men had not been raised up to contend for the faith prior to our existence. Think about if Athanasius did not stand up in the face of Arius concerning the deity of Christ. Or if Luther did not stand up in the face of Rome with regards to justification. Think of the faith that would have been delivered to us if God had not raised up these godly men. And so this should excite each and every one of us. It should stir within us a great desire when opportunity is given to contend for the faith. And so you ask, well, how do we do it? How do we contend for the faith? Well, first we must maintain right doctrine. We contend for the faith when we maintain right doctrine. As Paul says in Titus 1, verse 9, when he describes qualifications for elders, he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, we must search out truth. How can we ever hold fast to the trustworthy word if we do not search out the Scriptures? And how can we know what doctrine to rebuke if we are not familiar with the Christian doctrine that has been delivered to the saints. We won't. And that is why it is so important to be in your Scriptures daily. For the battle with Satan, the spiritual battle is a daily battle. And so we must be daily fighting it by maintaining right doctrine, by being in our Scriptures daily. Just think about if you were in a, a physical battle, if you knew 
Each day you would be in a physical battle. I would guarantee that each and every one of you would be preparing yourselves each day for that physical battle. Well, it should be no different in the spiritual battle. In addition, the way that we contend for the faith then is also to be praying for laborers. We are to be praying for laborers. We must make supplication before God, calling on Him to raise up men willing to contend for the faith no matter the consequences. And we must make this supplication to God because we know that it is God who gives men gifts. Yet even if you yourself have not been called to the ministry, it is still your duty to contend for the faith. For in war, not all are on the front lines. When nations rage against one another, there are different positions that each, peop- that each person takes. Not everyone takes the same role. It takes upon themselves the same task. And so likewise, such is the same in the church. But what we all must do, what we are all called to do, all Christians, is what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Each and every one of you, no matter what position it is you are given, you must always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is each and every one of your Christian responsibilities. And so each and every one of you, although maybe not a minister, you contend for the faith when you bear witness to the truth of Christ. One final way that we contend for the faith is by living in a manner worthy of the calling. Living in a manner worthy of the calling. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it underneath a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. See, when you live unlike the world, it manifests itself before others. It is obvious. There is something different that others see about the Christian. Even if they do not believe in the faith themselves, they see your good works, they see your uprightness, and they say, man, their God must be real. For they do good works. They don't practice evil. They actually follow after what it is they say. It's even like a breath of fresh air to them. Perhaps they themselves don't believe, but maybe God uses our actions as light in this world to draw people unto the Savior. But what Satan would love is that if you and I were no different from the pagan or from the atheist, for if this was the case, when the world seen us, it would give them opportunity to mock God. Look, their God is not real. He has no power. They live like the godless. And so we as Christians, as members of Christ's army, we must be careful to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit daily so as to not gratify the desires of our flesh. In order to contend for the faith, then we must imitate Christ, not only in what we say, but in what we do. And so we see some ways here described in how we can contend for the faith. We contend for the faith by maintaining right doctrine. We contend for the faith by praying for laborers. And we contend for the faith by walking uprightly. 
But what can make things difficult for the Christian in our battle here is that Satan and his army are continually hurling new assaults upon us, trying to draw us away from Christ. And so this leads us then to our second point of the morning, the deception of Satan's army. The deception of Satan's army. Now think back to that description of the Trojan War I gave in our introduction. Think of Christians as those residents of Troy, where we are contending and defending our city, but instead our city is the church, God's spiritual kingdom, and we contend and defend it by um, maintaining right doctrine, by praying for laborers, by walking uprightly. But then look at Satan's army as the Greeks who are trying to infiltrate and trying to take over what is not theirs. And they won't stop and they won't relent and they won't give in. Keep trying new tactics until we, like the Trojans, think that we've won the war already. Think that we no longer will be attacked and we let our guard down. And when we let our guard down, that is when they will pounce upon us. When we think and be arrogant, this is when they will seek to defeat us. And so this is why Jude says in verse 4, warning the saints, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. See, we see from Jude's letter here that many were unaware that people have crept into the church. As Jude says, they have crept in unnoticed. And so you ask yourselves, well, it doesn't make any sense. How do they, how do they creep in unnoticed if Jude also says that, um, that they were denying Jesus Christ. Well, you see, through Satan's devices, he seeks to infiltrate the church, not by people outside the faith, but by those in the faith. It would be all too obvious if people walked in today and they were wearing shirts that said, we deny Jesus Christ. Or if they came in with their megaphone and said, Christians, we are here to deceive you. Right? But that is not Satan's method. That is not how he operates. He could best attack the church by being in the church. Katrina and I, a couple of weeks ago, watched this movie. It's called The Infiltrator. It's a true story based on a, a CIA operative who takes on a new persona in order to infiltrate the, the drug cartels. And so he doesn't, uh, in order to infiltrate the drug cartels, he doesn't show up in his CIA hat, in his CIA shirt with his gun and his badge. No, he shows up looking, speaking, and acting like those in whom he's going to be around. He acts like he's a member of the cartel. Like he is an immoral person, breaking the law, while all the time seeking to gather evidence against these people to bring them to justice. And so this is how Satan enters our churches. He lo they look and they speak as if they are Christians. And so Jude says we have these people who have entered the churches not denying Christ, which is to say they don't deny Him with their words. Rather, they deny Him with their deeds. They live contrary to the law of God. They abuse liberty as a way to satisfy their sinful desires, yet all the while verbally proclaiming the name of Christ. Remember, this is the very reason they can enter the church, because they profess Christ. They claim to believe in Christ. Yet, remember what we said last week, that 
God, He works through speech. He works through words to display His power and His glorious works. And one example that we gave last week was, was Lazarus. We said, Lazarus rose up from the grave. But what preceded Lazarus rising up from the grave? It was God saying, speaking words, saying, Lazarus, rise up. And he arose. See, God makes alive through the instrument of His Word. He brings about new creation through words. But Satan takes God's Word and he twists it and he distorts it. They don't say something totally different so as to not appear non-Christian. But what they say is different when you listen to it. And it's aimed at drawing you away from Christ. I've heard it described this way. Satan is like a tagger, if you know what a tagger is. Someone who comes and spray paints over someone's already finished work. And so God has spoken by His Word. And Satan, Satan cannot come and create new words. He cannot speak new words. He does not have that power nor that authority. So what he does is he spray paints over what God has already said. He distorts He twists under the guise that this is what God said. Remember, as we already looked at Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, God spoke His Word and Satan came and said, well, is that what God really said? Is that really what He meant? Satan doesn't come and say, there is no God. He just makes you question His Word. Yet to follow after Satan and his army would be your destruction. This is why we must be serious about the Bible and its doctrine and what it teaches. For nothing that has been passed down to us from the prophets and the apostles is superfluous. None of it we can just throw away. It's all necessary. And so just like the expert who is an art expert, right, if someone brings in Van Gogh paintings, how does the art expert know that this is legit Van Gogh painting is by studying authenticated Van Gogh paintings. So when someone brings one in, he can, he's able to spot the real from the fake. And so the same must be true for the Christian. We must know Scripture so well that when someone comes in with something even close to Christian doctrine, we can spot the real from the fake. And when we spot it, when we uncover it, we must rebuke those who teach it And we must reject that teaching. Yet those ones who have crept into the churches and who have attempted to turn us away from God were those who were ordained unto this long ago. For Peter says likewise in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through He says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. See, although Jude writes to a people who may not have noticed that they have been infiltrated by false teachers, God is not surprised by this. This is not new to Him. We all have probably heard of ministers 
who seem like the sincerest men of faith. And then all of a sudden you hear that they had some great moral failing which disqualified them from the office. And we sit amongst each other and we talk about it and we say, man, I can't believe he, he did this. He seemed like such a godly man. See, to God this was no surprise. Yet this can be a comfort to the church knowing that nothing comes to pass within our body unless ordained by God. This is why Jude can say in verse 4 that these people who crept in long ago were designated for this condemnation. Here Jude speaks of their reprobation. These ungodly persons pre-ordination to condemnation. These people who have crept in God in His eternal counsel chose to pass over, not granting unto them saving faith, but leaving them to themselves. And because of their own sin, they are now condemned. This is the reason they stand guilty before God in His court of law. God passed over them, yet He condemns on the basis of their sin and their sin of loan. And so they do so, as Jude says, by perverting God's grace. They turn it into sensuality, which means they participated in sexual sin. They claim to be Christians, teachers of the Christian law. They, they said, we are those who have experienced grace so we can live in any manner we choose. We can live in sensuality and lewdness and wantonness. But it is not okay for them to do such. For Christ has given us Christian liberty in order that we might serve Him. Not that we serve sin. Paul has spoken about this elsewhere. We're all familiar with Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And the answer is we can't. For God has taken away our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. He has written His law upon our hearts. He has granted us His Holy Spirit. And so now we live in obedience out of a grateful heart. We no longer desire to live to self, but now we desire to live to Christ. And so we see how Satan and his army attempt to defeat the saints. They try to enter the churches under the guise of being true Christians. They seek to deceive us like their father, the devil, twisting God's truth, turning grace into sensuality. And if not doing so in word, they are doing so in deed. And so you might say to yourself, well, what is the Christian's comfort then in this present life? If we are constantly, if we are daily engaged in this battle, will we not grow tired? Will we not grow weary? And how do we know that we are even going to win this war? Well, Christian, the good news is that this battle has already been won. This is the Christian's comfort in this present life that you do not have to win this war on your own strength for Christ has already triumphed over Satan. Think back to our time covering Paul's letter to the Colossians. Do you remember what Paul says? He says in verses 13 through 15 in chapter 2, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven you your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us 
with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. In this He disarmed the rulers and authorities and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Or the author of Hebrews likewise says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of these things, that through death He might destroy the one who has power over death, the devil, and deliver all those who fear through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You, Christian, you and I have victory over sin, death, and the devil. We have triumphed in this battle because of Christ. Satan's power has been restrained and we are being kept for the Father, by the Father until Christ returns. And when Christ returns, He will no longer have the ability to war with you and I. He will no longer have the opportunity to deceive the saints anymore as Satan will be cast into that lake of fire and we will be with our Lord in His presence for everlasting life. But remember what John has said, for I'm sure many will say, well, if Satan has been defeated already, why are we in this constant battle with Satan still? Why are we having to uh, contend for the faith if Satan has already been defeated and Christ has already triumphed over him? Well, as we start to draw near to our close, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 and we will look at that answer. Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3. John says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years has ended. You see, right now, Satan is bound so as to not have the ability to deceive the nations altogether. The binding of Satan for the time being restrains Satan's activity, but it does not altogether eliminate it. Yet we do not have to fear, for we are the saints, and the saints will not be deceived. If you recall from last week, what does Jude say in his opening salutation? Remember, he wrote to encourage and to comfort us, saying that we are the called, we are the loved, we are those who are being kept for Christ. And so if we are those who are eternally elected by the Father, we will be kept for when Christ returns. So Christian, look to Christ and to Him alone. He will provide us with all the ammunition we need for battle. He will give us His strength. We have His imputed righteousness. We no longer will be accused by the accuser when Christ returns. We no longer will suffer deception by Satan when Christ returns. For look at just down a few verses to verse 7 of Revelation chapter 20. As John says, And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. 
Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. In the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, God is faithful and His promises are true. He will keep us from the evil one. He will preserve us until the coming of Christ. (coughs) And when Christ returns, this cosmic battle which waged will no longer happen. It will finally come to an end. So I ask, are any of you members of Christ's army? If so, gird yourselves up daily for battle. Be ready to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For this is your duty as a Christian soldier. As Satan and his army will look to deceive you, to cause God great harm, to deplete the kingdom of God. But we can know that the power that Satan has is only that which God has allowed him to have. For Satan has been cast down and he is now bound and his activity is limited. And so I say to you Christians, continue to march on. I leave you with this from that hymn, Onward Christian Soldier. Onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus, going on before, Christ the Royal Master, leading against the foe, forward into battle, see the banners go. Please bow your head with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truthfulness of Your Holy Word, that inspired Word which You've given to Jude. Father, we thank You that You uh, warn us, Your saints, of those who would come in and seek to do us harm. Father, we thank You that You have spoken to us in ways in which we may contend for the faith, not only for ourselves, but for the whole Christian church the future Christian church, for our posterity and not just for ourselves. Father, we pray that You would be raising up men for ministry who would contend for the faith. But Father, we also pray that You would give each and every one of us the desire to study Your Word and be willing and able to give an answer to those who would ask us what our hope is in. For it is in Jesus Christ. And so, each and every one of us contend for the faith when we profess the name Jesus Christ to the to the godless, to the to this world. And so, Father, we pray for the strength and confidence and boldness to do such when that opportunity arises. And so, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the opportunity to listen to Your Word. We pray, Lord, that as we go out this day, that the Spirit would work within us to do Your most holy will. And we ask all this in Jesus Christ, Your Son's name. Amen.